Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behaviour, sleep and more. When the pandemic first appeared in March 2020, I must admit I didn't feel as alarmed as many. I was comforted by the apparent disinterest the virus had in children. But of course, that virus has mutated and Omicron has been a different experience altogether. From not knowing anyone who had the coronavirus, now it seems we all know someone who's had or has it, including kids, including, as it turned out, my daughter. So what does that mean? What do we know about long COVID in kids? And will our children be less resistant to future mutations? Dr. Nusrat Humara is a paediatric respiratory epidemiologist at the University of New South Wales and Sydney Children's Hospital in Randwick. Hi, Nusrat. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, I know that it's still very early days when it comes to research, so I'm just putting that caveat up the front here in terms of what we know. So we're just, I'd just like to sort of touch base with you and see what you do know so far. Um, and one thing that I'm really curious about is whether or not we know if more children have been infected with this latest um, iteration of the virus because of this particular strain, or was it because they were effectively the last cohort of our population to be vaccinated? What we know so far between alpha and delta strain of the virus, the delta strain was no more severe than alpha in the pediatric population. And with Omicron, what we know is it seems to be even less severe in children. But in terms of the number, case numbers, when we talk about case numbers or when we talk about infections, that necessarily does not translate into severity. The thing what we happened with Omicron is, as you know, Omicron is two to three times or two to five times more transmissible than the previous strains of the virus like Alpha and Delta, which meant there were many, many more cases in the community, which we didn't see with the pre preceding variants. So when you see a larger load of community cases, of course, you are going to see more cases in children as well, because they are also part of that community. But the more important question that we should be asking is, did that mean that more children being infected with milder disease or with severe disease? Of course, we saw as there are more cases, the number of children coming to hospital would also increase because the numbers are greater now. But that did not translate into more severe cases. What we actually know right now is the hospitalization rates for children with COVID has come down with the variants. So in with the Delta, it was around 1%. Now it's even coming down. And so it's probably around 0.5% right now with the Omicron variant. And, uh, and in that, you know, very, very few numbers of children will actually require mechanical ventilation or intensive care unit admissions. So what we know up to now, of course, again, it's a very evolving situation that COVID seems to be milder in children and adolescents. Now, you are a respiratory epidemiologist. This is just one respiratory virus. If we go from what we've seen already of the virus... Are we able to predict whether future mutations might be 
more dangerous to children or not? Um, do we can we make any kind of assessment based on what we've seen so far? So what happens with I'll just begin you know giving a sort of a backdrop or a prelude to other respiratory viruses, what we know about them. So among some of the most common respiratory viruses in children, uh, the one that's sort of the main, uh, main reason for children being hospitalized in the first two years of their lives is respiratory syncytial virus or more commonly known as RSV. So we, with RSV, what happens is it does not mutate as frequently as the SARS coronavirus do, what we have been seeing with it. So what happens is the first infection is very severe in kids. They get subsequent infection, but those are not that severe anymore. With influenza, another very common virus in the pediatric population and also in the adult population, it mutates. There's genetic drift and shift with influenza. And that is why we need a seasonal vaccine with flu every year, you know, to protect us with new uh, strains of that virus. So because it, it it has the capacity to do that sort of mutation, there is the risk of, uh, you know, future infection being more severe. But with SARS coronavirus to what we have seen so far is, you know, the Omicron, the variant of concern right now that we have, it has become much more transmissible in terms of its uh, severity and uh, the capacity to cause more severe disease has come down, actually. So it's not as severe as Delta. So what happens is in the evolution of viruses, this often happens that a virus becomes much more transmissible, much more infectious because it needs to survive. And hence, in doing that, it sometimes loses its virulence. But having said that, we cannot say for uh, sure that the virus is not going to mutate into a much severe strain. So, you know, one transmission is enough to give rise to another variant of concern. And, you know, for a, for a virus to have another variant or, or mutate into an, another variant, you necessarily don't need the virus to be, um, you know, more transmissible. If it just evades your immune response, it can actually become a new variant of concern. So given that scenario, um, it's, it's still a wait and watch sort of situation. But I think we are in a much better place now compared to where we were in you know, January 2020 when the pandemic sort of started in terms of the fact that we have very good vaccines in place. And what we can do is get ourselves vaccinated, get our loved one vaccinated, get children vaccinated. So that's number one that we can do. We have very good therapeutics available right now, which can protect the vulnerable population. That's another plus. And then we know good public health measures like, you know, mask, hand hygiene, respiratory hygiene that work. So we are not in a situation where we were, you know, two years back. So I, I think from a respiratory epidemiology perspective, yes, there we should still be concerned and we should still be vigilant. We should still be watching out how the virus is sort of moving. But I also feel optimistic and I feel we have come to a point where we start to live protected and move ahead with the virus. As an epidemiologist, I'm sure you see how dramatically COVID-19 took the headlines, given that you're constantly working with illnesses, respiratory illnesses in children, as you mentioned, the RSV and other illnesses. Um, has this pandemic highlighted the kind of respiratory illnesses we need to be worried about, or do you think we have lost the ones that we we probably should be more concerned about if we're thinking about children for me from a from a you know academic and respiratory sort of researcher perspective i see 
two good things of the pandemic uh, you know like every cloud has a silver lining i think because of the pandemic we have started talking about all those public health measures that we knew from very early on work against any respiratory infections but people never took them up okay for like for instance you know mask wearing in crowded settings ventilation because you know it's not just covid most of the respiratory viruses are airborne they can be aerosolized so i cannot underscore enough the importance of you know indoor ventilation and improved ventilation then hand hygiene this public health measure has been in place for years and years and years but our compliance with it has always been low this pandemic has suddenly turned the table around and people are actively taking up these public health measures and i hope once we get out of this pandemic these things still stay with us because it's not just sars cov2 it is going to protect all these public health measures will protect us from other respiratory infections, will protect our kids from other respiratory infections. And the other thing is, the other good thing about the um, pandemic is because it's primarily a respiratory virus, people have realized what respiratory viruses can cause. And the thing is, respiratory viruses, infections by respiratory viruses are often not confined to just the respiratory tract. They have long-term impacts. They have sequelae. And because of this COVID-19 pandemic, you know, I, I hear more and more media attention on other pediatric or childhood respiratory viruses, including RSV, which, you know, we have been working for years, but it has never really gotten as much media attention as it got because of COVID-19 becoming a limelight. So I think those are some good things that happen. And I think as a community, including the media community and, you know, general population, people are becoming much aware of respiratory infections, respiratory viruses, which is always good, you know, moving forward. We hear a lot about long COVID in adults and how it has impacted them in various ways. Given that you have seen the long-term impact of respiratory illness in children and how it affects their later life, are you able to make any educated guesses in terms of how long-term COVID might impact children? Before I move to sort of COVID and long COVID, I just want to, you know, tell my experience or or what happens with other respiratory viruses. So like I said, RSV or respiratory syncytial virus, which is the most common cause of respiratory infection in children or in the first two years of their lives. And, you know, with RSV, we see much, much, much more cases than compared to COVID. So, you know, in terms of all respiratory hospitalizations, so children who are hospitalized with respiratory illnesses, among them almost 30 to 40% are due to RSV in itself. Sometimes it can go up to 50 to 60%. So it's clearly a much, much more common virus than COVID. And so when you have a virus that's infecting so many kids and causing so much severe disease in kids that they are sick enough to come to hospital, you can also clearly and validly see those long-term impacts because you have a larger number of children. And so what we know for RSV is children who get that very severe infection early on with RSV, severe enough to come to the hospital or be hospitalized, they have at least two to four times more risk of developing developing asthma and i must emphasize that so developing asthma in their later life so at you know age five or age seven so that that is a very very bad virus okay and then there is another virus which is called rhinovirus so rhinovirus in kids who already have asthma if they pick up that infection they get severe exacerbation of asthma symptoms severe enough to again be hospitalized with asthma exacerbations 
with influenza, again, it's a very common virus in children, and we know influenza has been in, associated with neurological impairment in children. So there are those long-term impacts of many other respiratory viruses. With COVID, what do we know so far? Estimates for, for COVID, especially, you know, around, um, uh, around Delta, because we had much more cases and it, that has been much more studied. We are still, the data are still emerging for Omicron. What we know for uh, Delta is, you know, the, the impact of long COVID uh, was between 3 to 5% in children and in adolescents. And the symptoms are most commonly, you know, often associated with persistence of cough, runny nose, a lack of, you know, inability to concentrate, sleeping disturbances, uh, sometimes persistence of um, a a lack of smell, uh, loss of appetite, myalgia, muscle pain, bone pain, those type of symptoms have been reported beyond three to four weeks of infection or recovering from COVID. So those have been some of the uh, symptoms that have been reported from different countries. But recently a study came out where there was a control arm, control arm meaning a group of children of similar age group who didn't have COVID compared to a group of children who had COVID. What that study showed that three to four weeks post COVID infection, the persistence of symptoms were similar between those two groups. So children without COVID were also likely to have those symptoms compared to children who had COVID. So so it, it, it's a very important study. And so that's that's something that we need to highlight. And because, you know, for long COVID to happen, you have to have a lot of children get COVID in the first place, get severe COVID in the first place, and then develop persistence of symptoms. So long COVID is really, it's a term, but it's a term that's used to define persistence of symptoms beyond three to four weeks. So because COVID is not being as severe as in adults in children, the, the persistence of symptoms of long COVID is rare in children. So at least that's what we know so far. But again, you know, Omicron with more and more data coming coming out from a larger population, I think we'll know much more in, in you know, in this year or in next six to eight months. So generally speaking, I can still still stay more or less optimistic about this particular virus not being interested in children. However, it's probably a good idea for parents to be aware of more common respiratory illnesses in children such as RSV and even rhinovirus. Would you say that's important for parents to kind of keep an eye out for those types of illnesses? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think what's very important is parents should be aware of any respiratory infections in children. And, you know, there are some seasonality with some of the viruses, like winter viruses, which is RSV, influenza. Rhino is present all over over the year, almost. Uh, So parents should really keep an eye about the respiratory infections, especially in younger infants, you know, the first six months of life when children have very, uh, their immune system is not fully developed. And the best thing we can do as parents and carers of young children, young infants is get ourselves vaccinated against the infections for which we have a vaccine for like flu, for COVID, do the right thing. Meaning, you know, if you try to wash your hands as much, as many times as you can, you know, if you have respiratory symptoms, then, you know, stay home. Don't go out and roam around and infect others because we must remember it's not just COVID. Any respiratory infections are transmitted almost the same way. Some are aerosolized, some are more more commonly spread through droplet infections. But if you have an infection, you're more likely to give it to someone. So it's where possible, 
we must try to isolate ourselves or stay at home when we have a respiratory infection. And if your child gets sick, you know, don't send them to school or uh, childcare, even if they have respiratory infection, regardless of the fact whether it's COVID or not, because children do get other infections. On an average, a child gets seven to eight episodes of respiratory infections annually. So, you know, protect yourself, protect your children, not just from others, but also protect others from getting the infection from you. And can I ask, just before I let you go, I think many parents will know uh, what respiratory illnesses are. However, as you mentioned there, children do get up to six to seven, six or seven uh, of these viruses a year. Um, How can you tell when your child might just have a runny nose and a slight cold? What's the difference between that and something that could potentially be uh, quite a severe illness? So, you know, the younger the children are, like, you know, the first six months of their lives or first one year, the more severe the infections are. As they grow up, they still get respiratory infections, but they start to get milder and milder. So what do I mean when I say a severe respiratory infection? It's generally they will have fever. Children will have cough, uh, often associated with runny nose, wheeze or, you know, um, uh, like a windpipe or like whistling sound in the chest. They will have breathing distress or difficulty in breathing. Often infants, like very young ones, they become very lethargic and they are unable to feed or, you know, be breastfed. Uh, So those are the symptoms to watch out. So if children become lethargic, if children are not drinking or eating, and if there's a high fever or, you know, wheezy chest or whistling in the chest, or you see that there's a breathing distress in your child, you should be alarmed. These are the severe symptoms. Then you should definitely seek care. In most other cases, as they start to grow up, the infections will be milder. It's mostly, you know, runny nose, often cough. They can be feverish or have mild fever. Those are generally milder infection. But remember, even though it's a milder infection in your child, that milder infection can cause a severe infection in another child. So again, even if a child has a milder infection, it's better to keep them at home when they have those symptoms. Nusrat, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Siobhan. That's Dr. Nusrat Hamara. She's a paediatric respiratory epidemiologist at the University of New South Wales and Sydney Children's Hospital in Randwick. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.